Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, where we see that Paul is laying out the foundational principle that the church is meant to function as a body, that it's the body of Christ, and everyone has functions within, those, within the body. You remember that? And we talked about being a hand or a foot or a nose or an ear or an eye, and how we talked about that Paul is essentially, um, and it's working out well in the series coming through Corinthians to lead into 40 days, Paul's actually leading us right into this statement that we're better together And he's saying this to the church in Corinth. He's saying to them that we're meant to be a body and that we shouldn't be eyeballs or ears or or feet or legs off all on our own, but we're meant to be together, that the body should be unified, even though it's made up of many different people with different gifts. And as Paul continues on in chapters 13 and 14, he's not leaving this theme of being better together. Paul is in these three chapters staying on this theme of the body of Christ and what it means to function together and what it means to be brought together corporately. He is expressing that our concern as Christians uh, is to be obedient and to strive to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. And so I, I posed the question last week that if it is God's plan that we are to be part of the body of Christ and that we're to participate and be part of the bride of Christ at the end of time, then we want to take that seriously. That, that gathering as Lakeside or gathering as St. George's Anglican or gathering as the United Church or, or gathering at West Guilford, that as we come together corporately as an expression of the body of Christ, that's important. And so we looked last week at that, all the ways that Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and John, they all write the same way about the church, that we're meant to be together. And when you look at the instructions and the commands that they give, they're virtually impossible to follow unless you're in a congregation of believers. And so belonging to the body is important in order to reflect what God would have us be and also to follow the, the instructions that were given in, the, in these letters. And so as, as we go on here, Paul continues to answer the questions of the Corinthian church. You have to remember the context. He's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, and he's answering their questions about membership in the body of Christ and how do they use their gifts and, and in chapter 14, he's going to draw attention to two specific gifts in order to emphasize, again, the purpose of membership in the church. So when you read 1 Corinthians 14, it talks a lot about the gift of tongues, and it talks a lot about the gift of prophecy. And you could get sort of bound up in trying to figure out what Paul is saying about tongues or what Paul is saying about prophecy and what that means, and it's, it's kind of really exciting for us to talk about that. But I want you to keep in mind through this that Paul's purpose, he's using tongues and he's using prophecy simply as examples. He's not trying necessarily to give a whole lot of detail on those gifts apart from the point that he is making, which is the importance of the body of Christ being together and the importance of worshiping together and why you are worshiping together as a corporate body. That's the main point. And so we don't want to get distracted by the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy necessarily and who should practice them and what they mean. Paul is using them to give instructions on how we are to belong to the church and what corporate congregational worship is meant to really accomplish. But he does talk about tongues, and so we will do that today. We'll talk about the gift of tongues and uh, and, uh, and help understand that and the gift of prophecy and help to understand that. But through it all and underneath it all, I want you to remember that Paul has not left the topic of the church in corporate worship, the church together as a body and what it means. And what, he, what he's really focusing at, I'll give you a, a teaser, is he's, he's really speaking to edification. He's speaking about what it means to build up each other in the church and to make the body stronger. 
And he keeps using that word edification. And it comes from the root word that we get the word edifice from. And an edifice is like a big building or a big strong monument. And so when Paul talks about edification, you should have in your mind the building up of the church into this big, strong, powerful thing. Because that's what edifice and edification means. And that's what Paul wants. It's the heart of Paul that he wants the church to be built up into this strong, united entity in the city that it's in. And that's not what was going on in Corinth. And so that's why he's writing this letter to put this emphasis on unity and the body and strengthening and edification. And that's what 14 is about. Let's just pray before we get into the scripture today. Father God, we would just ask that as we look into your word here, that we remember that these are um, your words, that, that the Apostle Paul was speaking in the spirit as he wrote these things to the church in Corinth. And that uh, even as his uh, brother in Christ, Peter, said, uh, Paul writes things that are difficult to understand. And people take his difficult writings and use them in ways they weren't meant to. And so we need your Holy Spirit here with us this morning to help us understand. So I would pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we would understand these things that Paul is saying to us and speaking to the, cor- to the church even in our day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14, if you have brought your Bible, uh, either in paper or pixels, uh, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's really the whole chapter. We're going to focus on verses 1 to 12 and then the verses at the end in 25, I think it is. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing just in the interest of time. You'll just sort of have to follow along as I go with your Bible and I will work through the verses as we come to them. And so when we talk about this issue of tongues or speaking in tongues, which sounds a bit strange, it has a strange ring to it, especially if you're a visitor here, you haven't been to church very much, you think speaking in tongues, what are they talking about? That sounds weird. Um, It actually wouldn't sound as weird to the people in Corinth. Uh, The word for tongues that we translate as tongues is glossia, and and glossia just means languages. And so you could say speaking in languages, and that doesn't sound as neat, so we don't say speaking in languages because it sounds cooler to say speaking in tongues. (laughs) And so the, the King James translation has stuck with us, so that's what we say. But uh, So you could just say speaking in languages if it makes you feel more comfortable. But it was controversial. It's, it's a controversial topic sometimes to talk about because people are sort of of two different views about it. You have some people who say um, on the one hand that um, speaking in tongues is a gift that's ended and that people who speak in tongues are just making it up or that it doesn't exist or that it's some sort of weird mystical experience that isn't from God. And so there's the one extreme of people who deny it. And then on the other extreme, you have people that say the gift of tongues is awesome. It's the most amazing gift available and you should be speaking in tongues every Sunday. And in fact, if you you don't speak in tongues you haven't even you don't even have the holy spirit yet and so you have these two extremes on this gift and then you have everybody else sort of in the middle like us um, who are just trying to be obedient to god and understand what his scripture says and recognize that god can act in many ways that are beyond us and uh, we may or may not have the gift or, or understand the gift but we're trying to be obedient to the scripture that's sort of us in the middle um, that's what uh, Mark Driscoll calls charismatics with a seatbelt. That's me. I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. Uh, so uh, I'd, I'd be glad to have the miraculous gift of tongues. I've never been given the gift of tongues in my life. Um, and uh, But it would be fantastic if it happened. It just hasn't happened. And, um, and uh, my take on tongues um, is is this. I think what Paul is speaking about in this chapter is Paul is talking about people who are praying to God in the spirit 
And as they're praying to God in the spirit, they are praying in syllables that they don't understand. So they are saying that they're they're verbalizing things to God in the spirit as they pray and they don't understand what they're saying. And Paul says that when people pray in tongues, he says in in the verse there uh, early in 14, he says, no one understands. And later on, he says that also when he prays in the spirit, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So Paul is saying here that this gift of tongues, whatever it is, people don't understand it. And he says, no one understands it. So it seems they're communicating with God through these syllables and they don't know what it is they're saying, even though it's edifying to God, it's not edifying to them. And if anyone here has the gift of tongues or has experienced the gift of tongues in their own prayer time, um, they can verify that. They can verify that they're uttering syllables that they don't fully understand and can't interpret themselves, but they know that it's worship to God and that it's worshipful of God. And other people might have a sense of what those syllables are and what they're speaking of and if they have the gift of interpretation. Um, but that's essentially that tongues is prayer in syllables that are not understood. Okay, you with me? This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about prayer in tongues or speaking in tongues or speaking in languages. And that's what's meant by praying or speaking in tongues. And you might say, oh, but Paul, in in Acts chapter 2, you know, one of the first expressions of this in the scripture, in Acts chapter 2, it says the people are prophesying in languages and the people in Jerusalem understood them in their own language. And that's true. In Acts chapter 2, that happened. But that's the only place it happens in the Bible is in Acts chapter 2. And I'll talk to you about that afterwards. I think actually what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is two miracles, the miracle of tongues and the miracle of interpretation at the same time. And so you can just set Acts chapter 2 aside. But I know some of you quick people out there are going to get me on that one. (laughs) So I'm just telling you, I know I'll talk to you about it later. (laughs) What Paul is talking about here are syllables uttered in spiritual prayer that no one understands except God. And so I do think that tongues is a spiritual gift that's valid for today, but not in the form that many Pentecostal or Assemblies of God or Foursquare people would practice it normally and not as a sign of a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that can be seen in Scripture at all. Um, and so uh, that's, that's where I'm putting us for tongues for right now. So what are we to make of this gift then as we approach this chapter, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians? What are we to make of this gift of the Spirit, which is tongues, and how it's meant to be practiced? And that's the important thing here, as I said. The important thing here is Paul is saying, what is the purpose of tongues and prophecy for the church? It's not about tongues and it's not about prophecy. It's about what is the usefulness of it for the church and how are these gifts that we have in the body, even though we all have these different gifts, how are we to express them corporately? And so the common theme here that comes through is the edification or the building up of other people in the church. And you might ask, where am I getting that from? So in 1 Corinthians 14, I'm getting that from verse 4, 5, 12, and 17. As you go through 1 Corinthians in verse 4, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And then in verse 5, he says, If you, you could prophesy or interpret so that the church may be edified. And then in verse 12, he says, Try to excel in gifts that build up the church. And then in verse 17, he says, You may be giving thanks well enough, speaking in tongues, but the other man is not edified. And so in those verses, you see Paul's emphasis keeps turning back to as you're expressing your gift, are you building up yourself or are you building up the church? 
Try and have the gifts that build up the church when you're gathered as the church. Try and do the things that build up the other people, not necessarily build up yourself. And so actually when Graham prayed this morning, he said, we're here for one reason only, and it's to worship God. And because of my sermon, I was thinking, yeah, no, actually not. (laughs) We're here for two reasons, worship God and build up the church. (laughs) But, you know, we could quibble over definitions. Worshiping God does build up the church. Um, But yeah, but that's what Paul is saying here. When you read 1 Corinthians, you have to keep coming back to this touch point. Paul is saying we're better together. Paul is saying that when you worship together, we are to be building up or edifying the church and to express gifts that build each other up. It's the body that needs to be built up, and to do so, it needs intelligible instruction. And so the purpose of everything in public worship isn't personal experience in the Spirit, but the building up of others that are around me. This is the contrast that Paul is making between tongues and prophecy. He's saying you can have an ecstatic, personal, joyous expression towards God, kind of standing there in your own little cone of light and be worshiping God, and that's great for you, but it's not helping everybody else. And he's trying to draw this contrast between your personal revelation and your personal worship and public worship, which builds people up. And so the purpose of the body is to be together. The purpose of the body is to be an encouragement to the body, and the encouragement of the body is to be attached and together and building each other up. If my body was mostly here on the stage, but one of my legs was still at home, I would be very discouraged because I would be missing a leg. Or if I was up here on stage, but my liver was downstairs in Sunday school, that would be discouraging for me. It would also be discouraging for the person that's with my liver. Um, But the point is is that your body is supposed to be together and and it's supposed to be building each other up and not discouraging but encouraging each other. And so Paul's theme here in the body of the church is how to encourage, how to build it up, how to edify it. And the purpose of corporate worship in the body as he continues his theme is not for our own spiritual excitement or experience. The purpose of corporate worship is the encouragement of the other members. It's not about you. The focus is not meant to be on you and how happy you are here. It's about 150 or 200 other people all worshiping God together and being built up together as one body. It's not 150 people coming for 150 separate personal individual experiences that they can go home and say, wow, it was great that I was at church today because I had such a great experience there. Paul would never agree with that idea. It would be, I'm glad I was at church today because I could build other people up and I was built up by the other people around me. I could welcome somebody with a smile. I could speak into their life. I could pray for their illness. I could help them through a hard time with their, with their son or daughter. That I could use my gift of being part of the body to contribute to their life. So it may not have been my favorite day at church today, but I'm so glad that I was there. <coughs> Excuse me, I was there because I could express my gift. Paul says that corporate worship is to encounter God together. And so we can ask, are our church-going habits about us or are they about edifying and building up the people around us? That's the question Paul would have as an answer. And the opening statement in 1 Corinthians 14 outlines his whole argument. The very first verse says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So if you break down his opening statement, he says, follow the way of love. Right off the bat, Paul says, pursue love. He's coming right off of 1 Corinthians 13, which everybody knows because they've heard it at every wedding they've been at. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. 
He's coming right off of this chapter 12, we're a body and we're to pursue gifts, but I'll tell you a more excellent way. You should love one another. He puts the chapter on love right between these two chapters on purpose. The main thing is love. He says, actually, if I were to speak in the tongue of men and angels and did not have love, then I would just be a clanging symbol. So he says, in all of this, maintain love, follow the way of love when you are gathered together expressing your gifts. And that's the main thing. That's easy to understand. Follow the way of love, first rule. His second statement, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. God gives gifts to each individual person as he determines, and we are to desire spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, I wish I was more wise. I wish I was a better leader. I wish I was a better helper. I wish I had more mercy. I wish I was uh, better at hospitality. I wish I was... Uh, had the gift of tongues. Um, I want to be able to express myself that way. And he says, it is right to desire the spiritual gifts. And you can desire for yourself what is best. Because God wants what's best for you, and he's not going to deny you what's best. And so in your prayer, you can go to God, and, and Paul says here, desire spiritual gifts. And God will not deprive you of what you desire. And then he goes on in the third statement, easy to understand so far, third statement, he says, especially the gift of prophecy. So Paul is saying, when you seek these gifts from God, especially in a corporate context here, he says, especially seek the gift of prophecy, especially seek the ability to speak clearly the truth of what God has revealed. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is speaking forth things that God has revealed. So God reveals things and you speak them forth in truth. You're a prophet. It could be future things. It could be current things. It's the speaking forth of things that God has revealed. And that's what we're to do together when we gather as a body. We're to speak to each other the things that God has revealed to us. Speaking through truth from the words of God. And that's what we do when we're together. And so prophecy, Paul is saying, is he's saying here basically eagerly desire. This is sort of a paraphrase of what I think Paul is saying. Eagerly desire based on God's gifting in your life to bring the truth of God to bear upon the fellowship in which you worship. On the level of teaching, maybe, like on my level, people say pastors are prophets and there's a bit of prophecy in what I do because I speak forth the truth of God as he reveals it. So that it could be on the level of teaching, but also to speak forth truth to each other in all the different levels of our interactions. Okay, so you can all be prophets by speaking forth what you know God has revealed through his word, through your prayer, through your life experience. You can speak forth truth of what you know God has revealed into each other's lives and therefore fulfill the gift of prophecy in the lives of each other. And so we have a prophetic dimension in our relationship to one another is what Paul is saying here. In so much as we talk to each other and speak truth into each other's lives, we're being prophets. And so you can be out having coffee with somebody and you can say, you know, we've been meeting together for a while and I kind of know where your life is going and what you're doing. And I can tell, I can tell your future. I know where this is going to end up if you keep doing the things you're doing because I have the word of God here and the word of God tells me that, that this is your future of people who pursue that path. And the person says, what? Are you a prophet? Funny you should ask. Yes, I am because I have... The truth of God here that I'm speaking into your life. And I know if you continue in this way, this is where it's going to end up. 
And that's what the prophets of old did. They would go to Israel and they would go to Jerusalem and they would say, nation of Israel, if you keep persisting in this way, this is what's going to happen. If you keep doing these things, this is how God's going to act. If you don't turn from what you're doing right now, then this is what will happen. But if you do turn from doing what you're doing right now and you choose to follow a different path, then this is what is going to happen. That's what the prophets did. And we can all do that, Paul is saying. Paul is saying when you meet together as the body, earnestly desire the gift of prophecy earnestly desire to speak the truth that God has revealed to you into each other's lives. And thus you build up the church. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. It's the gift of prophecy. And to choose it above speaking in tongues. Why does he say that? He says in verses 2 to 5, he starts to explain his opening statement. He says, because if anyone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. And so the problem with the gift of tongues or the problem with this sort of individualistic idea of church where I just come for what I can express to God and I come for whatever spiritual edification I can get for myself so that I can get built up. If you come to church like the Corinthians were, Paul is saying if you come to speak in tongues and to worship and to to get built up yourself, the problem is that we can't understand it. We don't know what you're saying. We don't know what your spiritual experience is. And Paul is contrasting that with just plain clear speaking in the next verse he says in verse three but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort and so paul has on the one hand the mystery of tongues and the gift of tongues and he has on the other hand the clarity of prophecy which strengthens and encourages and comforts and it makes plain sense to people And then in verse 4 again, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So tongues is good for you, but prophecy is good for the church. And Paul doesn't disparage tongues. Paul loves the gift of tongues, but it's meant as personal edification. Paul is not disparaging the idea of personal worship. He is not saying that you should not have a worshipful, joyful, incredible, celebratory, uh, spiritually carried uh, along relationship with jesus that it it, that you should not be ecstatic and emotional and and that the gift of tongues isn't marvelous but what he's saying is that and what the church of corinth had gotten wrong is they felt that this was the epitome this was the pinnacle of gifts this was the best expression of worship and so all these people were getting together and they were speaking in tongues and they were just carried away with their own worship of god and they were talking over top of each other and everything else and nobody was getting edified People were going home saying, I didn't learn anything. Nobody helped me with my problem. I didn't learn anything from God. You know, it's just a whole bunch of people praying and worshiping, which was great for them, I guess, but it wasn't any good for me. And Paul is saying, how's the body going to get stronger by that? How's the body going to get stronger if we all just come looking for our own personal edification from church? He says, when you're gathered as the church, use the gift of prophecy and greet one another and speak to one another and build each other up and speak into each other's lives and listen to the word of God and hear the truth that is being spoken plainly and apply it to your life. He says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. And I'll put in parentheses there, I think he means in the body of Christ or in the church, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So prophecy is greater unless there's some interpretation. But Paul doesn't want to eliminate the gift of tongues. He's not opposed to the practice of tongues. He's opposed to the place that tongues has been given. He's not opposed to the idea that people come to church to worship God and to be carried away in worship and to build themselves up. That's fine, but it can't be the priority. He's not opposed to personal worship, but it can't be the priority when you're gathered as a congregation. 
It's to be worshiping God together and building one another up together. And so the contrast that Paul makes and the question that that we're left with is, should our participation in the body be prioritized by personal spirit revelation of ourselves and our own worship? Or should our priority in the participation of the body be corporate expressing of truth already revealed, building each other up? And Paul is coming down firmly on the second. Paul is coming down without any apology on his preference, on his instruction to the church, which is, is to be building each other up. Your personal worship experience is fantastic for you, but when the body is gathered, if I had to choose between tongues and prophecy, Paul will choose prophecy every time. He says later on in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I could speak 10,000 words in a tongue, but I would rather speak five plain rational words together when I'm gathered in church. Paul would rather speak five clear words than 10,000 in a tongue in the church. And so he says your participation in the body is to edify and to build it up. And so then Paul applies the reason behind this emphasis. He says in verse 6, Now, brothers, if I came into you and speak, spoke in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? What good am I if you can't understand me? And he gives an illustration of musical instruments there if you read in the middle. And again, these... These pictures that Paul gives us are actually kind of funny in these two chapters. I never thought of Paul as sort of a funny guy, but he actually has some funny illustrations here. And he talks about instruments being com- played completely wrong, right? Have you ever been to your first, your child's first band practice or your child's first band concert? You know, you go in like grade three or grade four to, you know, grade four band. And the conductor gets up there and they all have their instruments and they're all ready and prepared and they lift the baton and then it's the first note and it's just like squonk. Like every instrument plays somehow a different note at the same time. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying if somebody grabs, you know, a harp and they're just like wanging on the strings and stuff is going on, how is anybody going to know? There's no melody. There's no harmony. Or Paul says, and he makes it a military application, which should settle in our hearts more deeply even as we think about ourselves as the body of Christ and as the church. He says, what if in the military somebody sounds the bugle, but it's the wrong note and people don't know? Am I supposed to get up? Am I supposed to go to bed? Is the enemy coming? Is the enemy not coming? What's going on? Who's going to prepare themselves if the note doesn't sound right? And so Paul uses this illustration to say, so when the church comes together... How are we going to function if we're not building each other up, if we're not speaking clearly into each other's lives? And so as we go into 40 days of community, and as we ask this question, are we better together? Yeah, we're better together as the body because we shouldn't be an arm or a leg that's off on its own. We're better together that way. We're better because we have eyes and ears and nose and mouth, and we have all these gifts and we can use them together. But in chapter 14, Paul takes it a step further, and he says you're better together because you're actually focused on building each other up. You're, built, you're focused on building up the body and edifying each other. And the purpose of coming together is not for your own self-satisfaction or your own self-worship of God. The purpose of coming together as a church is to build into each other and to make the body stronger. That's what you have to focus on. But there's a second application as well, which is important for us here too, because we're going in to find the hope as well. So the first application that Paul makes is to build the body up. But then right at the end of the chapter, you notice he makes another really interesting application. At the very end of the chapter, application number two, Paul says, is in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25, and I'll read it. I'll read those verses. 
He says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever comes in or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. Well, now this is neat. This is the first indication in scripture of a seeker sensitive service. Right? So you think Bill Hybels came up with it? He didn't come up with seeker-sensitive. Paul came up with seeker-sensitive. Paul says, look, when you're gathered as a body and unbelievers come in, don't be weird. He's saying, be sensible. Don't be speaking in tongues and carrying on and doing all this stuff because they're not, they're going to think you're crazy. He says, when an unbeliever comes or a stranger comes into your midst, he's saying, just speak truth into their life. Let them hear the words from God proclaimed clearly so that they can be convicted of their sin and they will fall down and worship and exclaim that God is really among you. Right? So, so maybe seeker-sensitive, that's a loaded term. I'll say seeker-sensible. We have to be sensible as Christians when we come together to worship to realize that when we gather corporately, there's lots of different people here. Not everybody here is on the same track we're on. Not everybody here is in tune with the Holy Spirit the same way you are. There are people here that are at different stages of understanding, even unbelieving. And so we have to speak clearly. And so Paul lays out here his second application is, not only is it just about the building up of the body, but it's about evangelism. It's about people being able to hear the truth of God and being able to respond to the gospel. And so when we go into 40 days of community and we go in to find the hope and we are inviting the, the community to come into our midst, we have to be sensible when we worship. We have to have seeker-sensible services so that when people come in, they hear the truth of God explained. And when people come in, they hear the truth of God coming from you, not just from me, but from you. But you're speaking the revelation of God in your life into their life. The love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the gospel. They need to hear the truth of God, which is primarily the gospel coming out of each one of us so that their hearts will be laid bare and they'll fall down and worship. That's what we're looking for. And so Paul lays out a recipe for a seeker-sensible service. He says, don't act weird. Don't speak in confusing ways. Don't use all that jargon which I'm guilty of myself because, you know, I tried to explain speaking in tongues and things like that. I try as I go along to try to explain the things that are happening. I don't say epistle, I say letter, and I, I try to explain the things as I go along. But we, we don't even have to speak in a tongue, like just talk about church sort of code, right, as we talk to each other as Christians. And when people come in here and you start talking in that church code, you might as well be speaking in another language because they don't, na- like fellowship even. Does anybody run into the word fellowship outside a church? Right? Let's get together in fellowship. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going to the bar to grab some wings and beer to fellowship together in front of the football game. So we got to make sure that we're sensible. And that's the second application that Paul makes here in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25. So if you're wondering why we sort of try to keep things a bit normal, this is partly why. So that when people come in, they hear mainly the gospel so that they mean they hear mainly the truth of god we want them to see our joy oh yeah we do we want them to see our joy we want them to see our excitement about worshiping god we want them to see the sincerity of our love for god but we want them to see that in a way that's understandable and that we speak sensibly into their life and so this is a reinforcement essentially of last week's talk on the body 
that even though Paul is talking about tongues and the gift of tongues, which is very weird and might distract some of us, that's not actually what the chapter is about. What he's really still hitting on, he's still hitting the same note that he started in chapter 12. The purpose of the church gathered is not an individualistic, self-focused, personal spiritual experience primarily. So that you cannot lay in bed at home and say, well, I'll decide whether I go to church or not today. And if I go to church, well, that's my loss. Nobody else cares. Paul will have none of that. That is not true. When you lay in bed and you decide not to go to church, the whole body suffers. You are not edifying anyone. It is not about you. It's about the whole church gathered together to build one another up. It's a decision that affects the whole church. The purpose of the church gathered is corporate. It's shared. It's mutually encouraging and it's strengthening. And if we don't participate in that, all of that of chapter 12, right, all that gifts and being a body together, and if our participation is limited to our own spiritual experience without concern for others, like Paul is saying in chapter 14, then we have things completely out of proper alignment and we're not following the way of love, which is chapter 13 right in the middle. Paul says, actually, it's childish thinking to elevate your personal experience above the good of the body. I think he says that in about verse 20 in chapter 14. He says, don't be infants. can't even find where he put it, but it's right in the middle of, of, of chapter 14. He says, don't be childish in your thinking on this matter. It is way more important that you build each other up than you speak in tongues. He says, it's childish to believe that the body is not meant to encourage one another, that the body is not meant to build one another up. So what can we take away from this? What I take away from this, as as my own personal experience as a Christian, that if we are to be obedient to what God's expression of the body is, is that as we gather together on Sundays, we have to be concerned with the strengthening of the church. We have to sing together and pray together and learn together and speak together to each other in ways that help us on Monday morning. That the purpose of us gathering today is to edify one another, to build each other up so that the rest of the week we're sort of carried forward by the strengthening that happens on Sunday morning. And so you can ask yourself that way as a bit of a checkup at the end of Sunday. When you go home and you're, you know, having your lunch and getting ready for football, you can say, you know, did I sing today? You know, did I speak with people today? Did I listen and worship today? Did I pray today? Was my participation at church today something that built people up? Or did I just kind of go in, get my fix, and get out? Because Paul says it should be the first one. It should be that we're participating to build each other up. That's what I take away from this. And if we focus on that as a church, if everybody focused on building each other up, and everybody focused on edifying one another and not necessarily focused primarily on our own personal situation and satisfaction then we would have a right understanding of what the body of Christ is meant to be. Then we would have a picture of what God had in mind when he figured the church was a good idea. And we would have an understanding of the role that we play in the lives of every brother and sister around us to build each other up and then also to convict people when they come into a family, a body like that, to be convicted that God is really here when we behave that way with each other. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. It's a long one, and there's a lot going on in it. And I just pray that we can take away the main thing, that Paul desires above all for this church in Corinth, and you would desire above all for your church around the world, wherever it's gathered together like we are today, that we would be focused on building each other up, 
worshiping you in joy and excitement and love, yes, but in such a way that our brothers and sisters get built up, in such a way that we encourage one another, in such a way that when people come in, they're just blown away by the presence of God's love here, one for another. So put that in our hearts, Lord. Transform us into that kind of church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.